going to places like Japan, um, the culture is very different there, but just going there with an open mind to and appreciating the culture and things that we can learn from them. It just helps put everything into perspective. And also just thinking to myself, I'm constantly reminding myself, if I wasn't doing something right, they probably wouldn't have sued me. Like if I went out there and, you know, was a struggling law firm, they probably wouldn't bother to sue me. They wouldn't care. But I obviously I did something that bothered them. And that's something that was right for the firm. And that's why they reacted the way that they did. So just keep on um, serving the clients because if 99% of the clients follow me and the majority are men, white men, and they didn't care about, you know, there's a black woman working on my matter. They just thought Tanya is doing a good job and I want her to continue. Focus on that. Do a good job. So they want you to continue. Growing up, I always want to see more people who look like me that were successful. Can I afford to take a risk to follow my dreams? We are excited to bring you the Make Your Mark podcast, hosted by philanthropist Kim Niles. The Make Your Mark podcast allows you to hear personal stories of resilience by professionals and public figures of color. Our guests unapologetically share their triumphs, lessons learned, and how they found balance in their experiences. Tune in to equip yourself with strategies and coping mechanisms on how to boldly make your mark. Subscribe and listen now. Tanya Walker is a practicing lawyer and the owner of Walker Law Professional Corporation. A daughter of immigrant parents, Tanya graduated from McMaster University in 2002 with an honors commerce degree minoring in economics. She then attended Osgoode Hall Law School and graduated in 2005 and received her law license in 2006. Tanya practiced at two Bay Street firms before opening her own law firm. Sit back and get ready to take notes as Tanya imparts her wisdom and experience that will help take you to the next level. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You are, wow, I am really excited to have you on the show for so many reasons. One, I've been following you for a really long time and I see the amazing work that you do. But on top of that, being a Black female and being a lawyer, but not just being a lawyer, but actually having your own law firm. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my goodness, like we need to, we need to hear your story. So before I get carried away, let me tell you a little bit about Tanya. So practicing lawyer and owner of Walker Law Professional Corporation, daughter of immigrant parents, which tells a huge story on its own right there. Tanya graduated from McMaster University in 2002 with an honors com- commerce degree minoring in economics. Uh, you attended Osgood Law and graduated in 2005, and you received your law license in 2006, which is just phenomenal. Tanya practiced at two base street firms before opening her own law firm. Walker Law has seven full-time employees in the area of commercial litigation. Phenomenal. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. 
And I know you're going to do a much better job of telling your story and how you became to be at offset. We were talking about how you became to be Tanya Walker, <laughs> right? I feel like there's a story of becoming. So tell us about yourself. I mean, I, my parents are from Jamaica. My mother immigrated here when she was 14 and she met my dad late, later on. I have an, a sister who's a nurse at the hospital for sick children and she's yeah. also a professor. Uh, we have always been taught uh, how to work hard be good people, just always see the glasses being half full, despite what comes into our path or in our way. And uh, that those are values that have resonated with me and I've carried on uh, through life. Amazing. So when did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? I knew when I, wa I wanted to be a lawyer when I was very young. I would say between the ages of four to six. I can't remember oh, the wow. exact age. So there's a show, and I know I'm dating myself, but the Cosby show. Yeah. And uh, Claire Huxtable, I just wanted to be her. And I didn't really understand really what lawyering really was, but yeah. she was a lawyer. And it's not just her in terms of being a lawyer, but also just having that balance of a family life as well. And so I just set out to be Claire Huxtable and I announced it to my parents when I was very young. And my, they said, you know, you have good grades. You're very argumentative. So maybe <laughs> that's something that you should probably think of pursuing. Um, and this is what you need to do. You just need to keep the grades up. You need to be a good person and you will surely, we believe in you. You'll surely get into law school. Amazing. You know what? When you said Claire Huxtable, I can totally <laughs> see the look. I see the look. <laughs> that is amazing. So when you when you first got into law school, what was that like for you? Were you the only woman of color there? Were there others? What did that? What was that situation like for you? When I uh, no, I wasn't the only black person in okay. uh, our year. I, I think there was probably six or seven others, but that's not a, out of three hundred. Out of three hundred. So, okay. Um, but law school was very, very difficult. I found it very stressful. It was very competitive. It was also, and I felt like I entered into a different world because um, there are a, a substantial number amount of people that had attended like the private schools and came from families where their parents were lawyers or doctors, and. Um, their mentality was very different than mine. And so I saw it as an opportunity to learn and grow because I, I believe everybody is really smart. And then I, I thought, okay, well, some, why do some people get further ahead in life than others? Mm -hmm. And it was just a great opportunity to learn from them and to say, okay, well, um, this is, this perhaps is the reason why or not why, and these are the advantages and disadvantages, but at least it gives you that opportunity to learn and grow. Wow. Okay. And were there ever times in law school where you felt like, eh, maybe I'm not supposed to be here? Yes, I, I felt it quite a few times. I mean, when you're when I made friends with some of those those students who parents, there are lawyers or doctors, uh, I just felt like it was a kind of a different world. Um, also, just how difficult and stressful it was. Your exams and our exams in first year were 100% exams. So that's your grade. It's 100%. So it was, very, it was very, very stressful. And the law firms, they really pay a lot of attention to the, the grades. Those, were, those, were, those grades get you in the door for the interviews. So wow. I felt it was very, very stressful. And how I kind of dealt with that is um, I went to the gym more often. I probably went to gym five or six days a week. I lived at home with my parents at the time. Uh, we're originally from Ajax and just commuted to school. So it was great to have that support system. I really, really appreciate having my parents around and my sister to uh, just provide that emotional support. Wow. Well, you probably don't know this yet, but you went to the gym five to six times a week. Yes. So you felt that that was really your coping mechanism piece. Yes. Yes. It was a very, it helps quite a bit with the stress. Uh, um, it, it just made me, uh, forced me not to think about 
uh, school for about an hour or an hour yes. and a half. And I usually try to attend classes because when someone's telling you what to do, it kind of forces you really not to think about oh. the class. So that's 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 what worked for me. And I ran quite a bit during that time. I ran a half marathon after I finished law school. I used to just do 10K runs on a regular basis. And uh, um, that's what that's just what worked for me. Amazing. See, I knew there was something that attracted me to you. <laughs> you like to move. Yes, I like to. And and it's so it's so it's crazy because when I explain to people daily how important fitness is in your life, people tend to attach just to a look. No. Right? They yeah. they think that I only work out because I need to look a certain way or I want to look like someone else. Whereas for you having such a hot that's high stress, 100%, that means you like even if you strike 95, it's like you're below now. Yeah. So at 100%, in order for you to have that mental clarity and to really maintain a certain state of mind, fitness really helped you to keep you on track. Right. Wow. Okay. See, we're going to show this episode a few times, <laughs> right? So in that journey now, so now you, you know, you've been maintaining the hundred percent. Was there ever a time where you came in at 98 or 97 and you were like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm, I'm not doing good enough. Yes. Because I mean, there were some classes that the grades were not as high as I wanted them to be. And I felt like a complete failure. And it was hard because I felt like I gave 150% but it just didn't, wasn't reflected in the grade. And I just thought to myself, just keep on moving on, like just learn from it, learn from that experience. What could you do in the future to get the grade that you want? So what I actually started to do was I met with my professors on a regular basis. Like I couldn't afford, like some people had tutors that uh, helped them and I couldn't afford that at that time. So what I did was if uh, the professor taught us a specific section or a specific area of law, I'd go and find old exams by that professor, like maybe five of them. And then I would find specific questions that address that area of law that we just learned. And then I would create my own perfect answer. And then I would schedule an appointment with that professor and say, okay, you just taught us about this area of property law. I pulled this exam from four years ago that has a question that addresses the area of law that you just taught us. Here's my perfect answer. Could you let me know what's wrong with it or where I can improve? And so that helped me quite a bit. And it also helped build a relationship with the professor. And I didn't realize it. Like some, and so some professors really took me under their wing. They invited me over for dinner or even when exam time came around, they were my professors, but they still invited me over to help me prepare for their own exams, which is probably better wow. than a tutor. Um, I guess they just saw something in me because I was very consistent with it. And I, and um, they just maybe felt that I really wanted to excel in school and so um, I'm, I'm grateful to those professors that uh, lent me a helping hand because they didn't have to do that for me. Wow. There's so much in that story that you just told because you, for lack of better words, you kind of called them out a little mm -hmm. bit. You found the evidence and it goes back to what you said where your parents kind of identified. They said you were argumentative, mm -hmm. but you found the evidence. So it wasn't just like hot air. It was like, here's something from four years ago that was here. And can you explain to me why, which is exactly probably what you do in the courtroom right now, too, yes, yes. right? So you were already practicing, although you were still in school, right? which is brilliant. Wow. So here's a question for you. How did you know, how did you know when you were ready to open your own law firm? I didn't, I didn't feel ready to open my own law firm and I didn't know. So what happened was I practiced at two Bay Street firms and I had to deal with a lot of discrimination based on race and gender. And I just felt like it wasn't fair. I, did, I being born in Toronto. I just don't 
feel that someone should be treated as a lesser human being or a second-class citizen because of factors beyond their control. And it's also class as well, because my parents didn't attend university. They're not lawyers or doctors. So I just thought to myself, the practice is so difficult in itself. And I just want to focus on this. And I'm billing at that time the highest in my firm. I'm working all the time, and but I'm not treated very well. So then I decided to open my own firm. Uh, 99% of the clients that I, I helped or I had carriage of their matters, they followed me to the firm. So it's not like I really set out a plan um, and said, this is what I'm going to do. My mother always said, you know, you're a rainmaker. You like going out there. You like socializing. You're bringing in work. You know, you're on different boards. You really should think about opening your own firm. You have that in you. I'm like, no, no, no. But later on, I thought, you know, maybe she has a point. And with that point, um, I said, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll do it. Um, and then it just, there was an opportunity because a firm that had worked with my old firm, uh, two of the lawyers actually said, you know, we're thinking about opening, um, gutting half the floor on Bay and Queen, mm -hmm. and we want to rent space to you. And I, they were already mentoring me. So I thought to myself, I'm not really sure. I'm not, I don't really feel ready. But I mean, if I have meant them who are litigators, seasoned litigators continued to help me, then it probably is the best move. So that's what I did. And so I really opened the firm in two days. It wasn't really a oh. well thought out plan, but it worked out for the best. Okay. And how long have you had the firm now? Almost 10 years. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. So it was the right move. It was the right move. Amazing. And now you were also sworn in by the Law Society of Ontario to be the first Black elected female bencher. Tell us about... 220 year history of yes. law society. Yes. Girl, that's decades and decades. That is a long time. That's all a long Canada, time. All Tell us country. about that. So um, the law society governs a profession over about 55,000 lawyers and paralegals, and they create rules. Um, so the law society is actually older than Canada. It used to be called the Law Society of Upper Canada. We changed the name about a year or two ago to the Law Society of Ontario. So one of my mentors who had been a bencher, which is like a board of director for almost 16 years, he said to me, you know, you might want to consider running. And then I thought to myself, no, 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 this is for your demographic, old white guys, right? And because that's who really dominated the, the directors, the benchers. Yeah. And then I, I looked into it more and I thought to myself, Tanya, you never, you don't come from a background where your parents said, no, you can't do this because, you know, you're a black woman. So why are you now putting these roadblocks in place for yourself? So I researched it and I thought to myself, you know what, it would be good to be seated at the table to make rules and regulations, to help make rules and regulations to govern I'm the profession. Goosebumps. Because you need you need different people, right? Yep. You need junior lawyers because they're very senior. Mm -hmm. You need you need out, like one or at least one black or two yep. black women and people from small firms. And so I told my mentor, I'll run, but again, I need your mentorship. Yeah. So he did not just make himself a mentor, he made himself like a sponsor. And he really sponsored me and was really my like a campaign campaign manager because I didn't know how to run a campaign and running a campaign for that is like you're running for mayor, I can imagine. And so under his direction, I really uh, I followed what he said and uh, implemented some things of my own. And I became the first black female voted in Toronto from Toronto in the over 220 year history of the Law Society. And that was in 2016. And then this year. I was reelected and reelection was a little bit more difficult because I was heavily pregnant. So I'm kind of, I felt like I was waddling around to different meetings and speaking at different firms, but I, and 
during the campaign period, I, w- I couldn't even campaign because that was the, the time I delivered the baby. I did okay. as much as I could before, but I was reelected again this year. Good for you. Yes. Once again, another story of resilience and a story solely too about the fact that you're like, well, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And it was just that change in perspective that said, okay, you know what? With your help, I'll give it a try. Why not? Now, what if you didn't have the help? Do you think you would have still persevered or you think, or you think it was because you were at the right place at the right time? I didn't, if I didn't have the help, two things would have happened. One, I wouldn't even have considered it. Okay. And then the second is I probably wouldn't have uh, been elected because you need at least 3000 votes from lawyers. Oh, wow. Right. I don't know 3000. Do you know 3000 people? So, so to get your name out there, to have that level of name recognition when you own your small shop. It's very, very difficult. Yes, it is. So I don't think I would have run. And if I ran, I don't think I would have been able to have been elected. So it's it's not just being at the right place and at the right time. It's creating that opportunity for yourself, right? So when I opened the firm, I thought to myself, what am I going to do to find, to continue to network and get out of my comfort zone and meet people who are decision makers and leaders in their profession? And so- I joined a gym that was much more expensive than the gym that I usually, I go to, but I thought, you know what, this makes sense. Yes. And it's not just only that. I thought, okay, well, there are different times in the gym I can go, but where, what time do the decision makers work out? That. They work out at 6 or 6.30 in the morning. So for years, I'm on that treadmill at 6.30 in the morning. And so these people who are uh, influencers, they see consistency, right? I'm the only, I think there was only one other black woman at the gym. And so we're the, I'm the only one that really kind of stands out and I'm there 6.30 in the morning. I'm there on the weekends working out two hours on the weekend. And so they say to, might say to themselves, you know what, maybe I should take her under my wing. You know, maybe there's something about her. So they're watching. And after, it's not just one or two, once or twice, because we live in a world of instant gratification. Sometimes people think, you know, I want this right away. Yes. It's, it's consistency over like two, three years. And yes. then somebody who's in a, a position of leadership says, you know what? I think you should run for venture. And kind of at first I was like, why? But then I thought to myself, you know what? This they're they're seeing, they see what I do, they're seeing what I do for the firm. And they say, you know what, I believe in her to the extent that I'm gonna put my name on the line for her. And that's very important. Wow. There's so much to be said from that story. But the other thing is it seems that you really take the time out to make calculated decisions as well. So it's got to be smart. It has to make sense for you that, you know what, to choose a gym specifically, that's so smart. Like really it is, but you're actually, you're going to the gym, there's health benefits there, but then there's also that social and professional piece as well. So good for you, Tanya. I'm learning so much. Wow, Our viewers are going to be blessed. So tell us, what is one of your biggest accomplishments? I think my biggest accomplishment to date is opening the firm. Okay. And it's because it was so difficult to do so. My firm who did not want me to uh, continue to help the clients, they sued me. And then they kept, we kept on going back to court over and over again. I was very young, like 32 at the time. I actually had to take a a line of credit on my, my condo to pay my legal fees because we kept on going back to court. Um, And I think it was really the strategy was kind of distract me from my firm. So that was a very, very difficult time because I was also focused on continuing to service the clients. They're the priority. So to be able to get through all that and then um, 
have now seven people. When I started off with an assistant part-time, it was just me and an assistant part-time. Um, I'm very proud of what we've accomplished throughout that time. Wow. Good for you. So after leaving this, the firm that you were with sued you and that went on for how many years? Five years. Five, so half of the time. Yes. Yeah, so until the firm, that firm went under. Oh, wow. It stopped when the firm went under. Wow. And how did you handle that throughout that time? I mean, I know you just mentioned that you had to take out a loan on your condo, but how did you deal with that mentally and emotionally while still having to show up as a lawyer for others? I, I just, I just great support system. My mother, my father, my sister, uh, my husband. Now, when I met him at that time, he was my boyfriend. Um, they were just all very, very supportive. My friends, uh, just, and mentors like Jean Augustine is my mentor. She's the first black female member of parliament. Just having those people as a sounding board and, of course, uh, going to the gym and exercising and just getting rid of uh, that distress that way or dealing with it that way helped so much. Traveling, I made it uh, a priority to try to travel every four months. And so I visited some very cool places and learned about very interesting cultures. And um, it made me take my mind off of what was going on here. Wow. That is so like, that's a really nice holistic approach because you found a way of really distracting yourself right? and learning new things to open up your mind, which actually probably helped you to see things a lot differently. Yes. Going to places like Japan, um, the culture is very different there, but uh, just going there with an open mind to, and appreciating the culture and things that we can learn from them, it, it just helps uh, put everything into perspective. And also just thinking to myself, I'm constantly reminding myself. If I wasn't doing something right, they probably wouldn't have sued me. Like if I went out there and, you know, was a struggling law firm, they probably wouldn't bother to sue me. They wouldn't care. But I obviously did something that bothered them and that's something that was right for the firm. And that's why they reacted the way that they did. So just keep on um, serving the clients because if 99% of the clients follow me and the majority are men, white men, and they didn't care about, you know, there's a black woman working on my matter. They just thought Tanya is doing a good job and I want her to continue. Focus on that. Do a good job. So they want you to continue. Wow. That's amazing. Good for you. Thanks. So on the topic of white men, in what were challenges that you faced in your environment being that it was highly male dominated? One challenge that I really faced was like the old boys club. Like I liked to play golf. Okay. I liked to run. I like to go, I don't drink beer, but I'll go to the bar and have a glass of wine. And I wasn't invited to attend these social functions. And this is these informal social gathering is where you build relationships and where you get work. And it, it made me feel a little bit lonely at the time, at times to see people that I'm working with, they would go out and they just wouldn't ask me because I look different from them, or maybe I'm just kind of outside their comfort zone. And um, so then I just started to ask them. Right. I, you like to run. I like to run. Let's go running. You know, you play golf. Let's go play golf together. Or you like squash. Let's go play squash. Right. Let's go. To, let's go to the bar and let's have a drink together. And then slowly people see, you know, Tanya is just a human being just like me. Yeah. You know, she may be a different gender and a different race, but she's just like me. And that's OK. Wow. And how do you how do you feel it was received at first? First, it was kind of people like kind of taken aback. And sometimes some people you know, you, I could tell they didn't feel very comfortable, but just focus on things we have in common. You could always find something you have yes. something in common with. And people are not born. And I really realize this now having an eight month old, people are not born with hate. 
People are not born with discrimination. They don't actually come out and say, I'm going to discriminate against a black person or a white person. Those are things that are taught along the way. And just like they're taught, you can help and teach them. And so that's the way that I approach life. It's just people are just not naturally like this. And so it's not, it's not my job to necessarily teach somebody, but to let them learn and know that you can just see Tanya Walker. It's just Tanya. So here's an interesting question. So I've worked predominantly most of my life with white males. And do you feel that it's possible to, for them to, for people to unlearn behaviors? If they want to. If they want to. If they're open to it. So for me, when I ask somebody out to play golf or to go running with me or to play squash, and by the mere fact they're saying yes, it shows me an openness. Not everybody says yes. Okay. Right. Some people, they're too busy or they just, they don't even respond to the email. But when you say yes, it shows me that you have a little bit of openness to you. Okay. And it begins with the open mind. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. It makes sense. So tell us about a time now. So after facing all of this adversity, because this is truly adversity is what you face because people only see the finished product. They don't <laughs> see the behind the scenes because I didn't know all of this. <laughs> Tell us about a time when you felt like giving up and how you push past that feeling. I think it felt like giving up when I, one of the court cases with my old firm, they brought me to court for um, a specific request to a judge. And although the law worked in our favor, we lost. And I thought, oh my, and then when you lose, you have to pay part of their legal fees. Oh, right. So you pay your legal fees. But then the order against me was like for 12,000 or 13,000 in legal fees for them just arguing for those two hours. It's not the whole case. And so I just felt like, this is crazy. I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose my the firm and all this for factors that are not even my fault. And I just thought, Tanya, just keep pushing. And my father said something to me, Tanya, you were born to be successful. There's something about you. They'll put, you will have roadblocks put in your way. It has happened since you were a little girl when you went to an Italian school, because I learned that was my first language. I learned Italian. My parents wanted me to use my mind a different way. Oh. And so they, when they realized my Italian was very strong, they found a school with an Italian curriculum. And then they, my parents, who were Anglican, they told my parents that I couldn't attend the school because I'm not Catholic. So what did my parents do? They converted. They oh, spent wow. six months and they converted and they said, we're Catholic, let us in. So, so they let us in. And so I had to deal from very young age with, you know, getting an A paper and then, you know, there's cork boards where all the A papers are displayed. And there was a period of time, there was never room for my paper. And my parents would go to school and say, make room. Right. So my, my parent, uh, oh, and my father remembers that uh, when I was in grade, I think two or three, there was a, a play, a Christmas play. And I wanted to lead in the play as an Italian. And so the teacher said to me, um, I'm not going to give you the lead unless you can memorize the script. So my dad said, you know what you did? You memorized it and you had the best Sicilian accent ever. Right. <laughs> so Good for you. I memorized wow. it. And he said, you know, he went to the play with my mother and I was up there and I had the lead role. And I was just I was it was Italian and people were just amazed. Like the parents were like, oh, my gosh, she speaks Italian better than us. And so he, my father said from that, that time, he knew whatever roadblock anyone puts in your way, it's just a bump in the road. You're just going to drive over that bump and you're going to keep on going. So having a family that believes so strongly in me and that, and they did from such a, 
a young age puts confidence in you. Definitely. So that's, I think that's what really pushed me through. Just hearing my mother and father say that over and over again, it's just a roadblock. That's just life. Life has bumps. You're going to get through it. Amazing. So I'm just going to go down that road a little bit there with your parents. So your parents came here as immigrant, uh, immigrant family from Jamaica. And now I'm assuming that they didn't go to university and all the higher levels that they could have gone to. So how did they, where did they find the confidence to go into a school and say, nope, we need this for our daughter? Because a lot of times uh, in, in schools, what I see is parents tend to pull back because they don't feel like they're enough and they cannot show up for their children in the way that they wanted to. How did you find that your, how did your parents do that? You believe from looking back now? I think what happened with my mother is when she immigrated to Canada when she was 14. So there are kind of, at that time, there are three streams of programs, basic, general, and advanced. And so if you were university bound in high school, you take the advanced stream if you're college general. So my mother um, attended a private school in Jamaica. Her aunt was a vice principal at the school. So she automatically assumed that she was going to go to university and become a registered nurse. And so when she started high school, she mentioned that and they said, okay, you go on the general stream. So lo and behold, she gets to grade 12 and then she's told, you don't qualify to go to university because you're in the wrong stream. You are in general instead of advanced. So that was on her shoulders for many years. So when she, uh, when, when my parents had us, she was a big proponent of education and parents being involved so you don't get lost in the system. So um, when we were younger, we would have to do like, I, I remember like four or five years old, like a couple hours of homework a night. And if you didn't have enough homework to do, my mother went out and she purchased books, probably from the equivalent of Walmart today. I think it was Kmart or something, Arizellers and uh, of grades ahead. So you would, if I came home and I said, you know, I'm finished my homework for the night it was only 20 minutes. Okay, well, I bought you the grade one book. You're in kindergarten go to the grade one for the rest of the time that we've allocated for school. So I think with her experiences and then just seeing um, how, what they did for us made us so kind of advanced that they just felt the sense of entitlement, not entitlement, like I deserve it because I, like, I, I, I just should get it, but it's, you worked hard and you're entitled to the results. And I think that's, and having to deal with this discrimination that they felt when they were here they did the best that they could to protect us from that. So even with my stature, I was always kind of athletic build. I'm always tall. I'm 5'10". Um, sometimes I would be put on sports teams without even trying out. And my father would pull me off and say to the teacher, you know, if you encourage her in education as much as you do in sports, I'll have her gladly play on your team. But I'm not going to have her do that because education is where it is in our household. Oh, wow. So it was an automatic assumption that we're going to university. It was automatic. Like it was just something that was in our minds. I'm sure if we wanted to go to college or not even go, that would be accepted. But it was something that was just ingrained in us. Like that's that's the starting point for you guys. Okay. And would you, would you say your home was a 50-50 balance or was it more dominated by your mom or dominated by your dad? 50-50 balance. Okay. 50-50. And I think it's important because my father was just as involved with my mother. My mom's more of the mama bear. Like I, I remember going, seeing her parent teacher interviews and she's just so passionate. And I see my dad like kicking her under the table, like <laughs> calm down, <laughs> but I, I, he's there. Yes. Right. So, but he's a little bit, he was a little bit more calm, but he was just 
I mean, yeah, he was just as big into education and he still is as my mother. Wow. Okay. Well, and I I think, sorry, his story is different because in Jamaica, he came here when he was almost 30 and in Jamaica, he wasn't, he wasn't afforded the opportunity to go to a good school because they didn't have the money. Okay. And so having the opportunity to go to good schools here, even if you aren't uh, wealthy is something that he didn't take for granted. Wow. That's why they converted. That's why they converted. Okay. So is there, I wonder what, if you believe there would be a piece of advice that your parents would give to parents today, what would that be? My mother's would be very much longer than my father's. <laughs> I think, but I, my parents, what they would probably say is be involved in your children's education. Um, you can't expect the school to do something for your child. Amen. That you will not or cannot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's on you and be there for your kids. You know, some people, we live in a, a small townhouse growing up. And the reason why is because my parents wanted to work eight hours a day. So they're home with us. We didn't have time to get into trouble. Um, and as opposed to some of my friends where their parents worked two or three jobs and they had a really big, a really big home, but it's, that doesn't necessarily make a home a home. And so that's something that I think is it, they would really stress to parents today. Be very, very involved. You know, monitor your kids. Don't wait for an interview, parent-teacher interviews if you have a problem. Call the teacher and make an appointment now. Fix problems now and be the biggest advocate for your, your children because no one else are going to love your children like you do. And now having our child, I see that no one is going to love our son the same as my husband and I. Wow. I can't expect a teacher to love my son like, like us. It's just not going to happen. You know, it's funny because I, I, I do work in schools and I'll say, I'll say to the teachers, it's like, when are we going to reach out to the parents? And not that they haven't, they do reach out to parents. But when I do speak in the community now, I always say to parents, get involved, get in their business, know what's going on. You can't send them to school and expect someone else to take care of your children. And that's perfect advice because that's what I see. I see a lack of engagement. There's a student, there's a school, there's the student, there's the parent, and they're not talking. They have to, and you have to talk to your children and you have to encourage them um, to speak to you. Uh, and you, you really, you just have to uh, look at, okay, where, where, what level are they reading at right now? What can I do to help them improve uh, math, right? What, if, where, where are they at right now? What can I do to, to assist, right? So you, there's so much that can be done and it's very hard because uh, we have so many demands nowadays with our jobs and life, but it's, it's, it makes a, lot, a huge impression because I don't, I, I don't necessarily think I would have became, become a litigator if I didn't see my mother advocating for me yes. when I was a little girl and thinking it's perfectly natural, mm-hmm. right? So if I think the judge is wrong, I'll say, Your Honor, you know, this is my perspective. This is our case. This is what the case law says. I feel perfectly comfortable doing that because I've been seeing that since I was like four years old. Yes. So I think it's, a, it's and it, you don't, like as a child, I don't think I really, it, really, I really thought about it, but now thinking about it, it made a huge difference in my life. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that you did mention earlier on is you said that your parents chose to have a, a town home and work an eight hour job so that they can be involved with you. Whereas unfortunately, sometimes, especially within our culture, it's a little bit more, let's have a big lavish house. Let's chase these big items because really that's where they are, what they are. And then the children are left unattended. And that's not a home. 
as right. you mentioned, right? It's not a, it's not a home for me. Like it's some for, it might work for some people, it's not for me. And that's how our lives are right now. We don't live very far away from the downtown core. We it took us a very long time to find our home in a very good neighborhood close to the city. But I arrive at work 15 minutes. It's a 15 minute commute. It's a 15 minute commute home. So I get to enjoy my evening with my, our family. Yes. Instead of like if it was an hour or two hours, it'd be much more difficult to enjoy that quality of time, time with my family. Tanya, thank you so, so, so very much for <laughs> dropping the gems that you have. You're going to write a book and it's going to be called <laughs> Parenting. It really will be okay. because I feel that what you have shared with us and our view, our viewers today is priceless. That whole piece of getting involved and, you know, parents really knowing what's happening with their children and being able to advocate for them is something that is so needed in today's world, especially as we're about to start a new decade and how things have changed. It is so, so needed. So thank you for sharing what you did. Well, thank you for having me. No problem. So how did you know when you had to stop something that was no longer serving you? When, I mean, when, if you're looking at it in terms of what you're getting and what you're giving when you're giving and giving and giving and giving and getting very little in return. Yes. And so maybe it's my economics minor, but it's when you're getting a little, if you're receiving very little return, then you have to pull back a little bit. And an example of that is are some friendships that I've had with even some family members and you're giving and giving and giving and giving and all you're getting is stress. And I look at it and say, think to myself, if these people really have what they should have in mind for me, which is success and support, why am I stressed out all the time? Right? Do they, how much, how much do they really care? Or is there another underlying problem that's beyond me? And sometimes there is an underlying problem that's beyond you. And I think what it is, is when you look at uh, certain people, you might say they've achieved certain levels of success because of who their parents are, you know, they're so far removed, yeah. like a Kardashian, they're so far removed from you. But when someone is from your very world and your social circle, and they achieve a certain level of success or what you perceive to be success, and you're still where you are, it might not make you feel very good about yourself. And the way that you deal with it is by taking it out on others. And so if those people have to be let go, and you have to love yourself enough to say, I love myself enough to put you at a distance because it's just, it's a, it's a disadvantage to have you in my life. And it doesn't matter if they're family either because you can't choose your family. Wow. I, that resonates with me a whole lot, a whole lot. I feel that it's, it's, you have to make that decision for yourself. And sometimes you're born into your family and your family's obviously not chosen for you, but Sometimes it is your family that does not serve you. And if you do know within your skin, and I feel it, you know, you said something earlier on where at the, between the ages of four and six, you knew that you wanted to be a lawyer. And I feel people will sometimes ask me, they will say, you know, Kim, how did you get to how you are? And then I look, I think I really spent, I can spend a lot of time alone and I train a lot. So I was just like, I always think about it. And I'm like, I've always been like that. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a time where I didn't want to be first in my class. I didn't want to, I was not a fan of group projects. I was like, okay, <laughs> just let me know what everyone wants to do and let me sort it out. Yeah. So it's like, I've always had these characteristics. And when you, when you start to get into your teenage years now and you start to grow and you start to, your eyes are opened up and you're like, well, I know who I want to be. I, I never had that moment of, um, I was unclear. 
And I know that sounds really weird because most people like, you know, they're well into their thirties and they're still trying to figure themselves out. But for me, it's always been very clear. Like, no, this is where I'm going and I'm either going here alone or you're going to join me. It's your call, but I'm not going to really, I'm not willing to get off that track. Mm-hmm. And that could sometimes be seen as a little bit headstrong. Uh, you know, they, you know, they have all sorts of words, aggressive, all these different words to describe someone like that. But there's, there's a huge benefit in my opinion, in terms of when it's time to cut something off that doesn't serve you, you're very clear on that. And would you say that you feel that it's, it's necessary for you to really know who you are from that perspective? Because if you don't have any standards, call it that you, you fall for, you stand for, you stand, you know, what's that saying? You stand for, if you stand for everything, if you stand for nothing, you fall for anything. Yes. So do you think that that has been something that's resonated with you in any, in any way? Well, I, I, I always knew that I wanted to practice law. And when I opened the firm, I thought, you know, I want it to succeed. I wasn't sure if it would be, you know, have one other person in the firm or 15 other people, but I want to succeed. And you have to have like a laser focus, right? Cause you're still working a lot, especially with trials, working 16 yeah. hours a day. And you, and now you have to focus also on the business. And so the little time that I may have to myself, I want to spend it with others that make me walk away feeling happy. Yes. And so maybe the choice is I just wanted to be happy and then be around those that make me happy and that I can make them happy. And so when I saw that that wasn't happening sometimes, I tried to resolve it, of course. But then when I realized it was beyond the like point of resolution because it really didn't have anything to do with me as a person. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't, I'm not really big on like cutting anybody off. I just had to say, okay, let me just stay at a distance right now. Because I mean, the reality is sometimes, even if you're friends with somebody for 30 years, there might be a few years you're f- closer, a few years you're not as close and people change. The person you were yeah. 20 years ago is not probably going to be the same person you mm-hmm. are 20 years from now. And sometimes people need to figure things out. So I never really am like, goodbye and that um i'm more of okay let me stay at a distance and let me focus on what i need to do so maybe you can focus on what's going on and then hopefully we can reconnect at a later point in time okay what would you say your number one value is integrity i had a feeling that was (laughs) integrity awesome yes it's just it's 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 just it's the foundation of me it's the foundation of the firm and I, I don't know how happy people are really in their soul if they don't have integrity. Yep. I agree with you. hundred percent. Hmm. So what have been some of your support systems? I know you talked heavily about your parents along your journey and mentors in your life that have made a big difference in your journey now. So another support system is, is my husband. He's very, very supportive because our roles are reversed. Oh, Okay. You know, so you have the stare, like if you're looking at the, the, the typical w- woman's role in the home and a man's role, ours are reversed. Okay. I, I'm happy and I love doing what I do, but because I love doing what I do and it takes a lot of time, I can't necessarily, and I like to cook and I like to clean. I, I, I find it kind of calming. And, um, but I, I, I just, there's only so many hours in the day. And so um, he's always been the person that's taking care of our home. And he's a uh, Serbian and he's learned how to cook like 
oxtail and what? jerk chicken and everything. He doesn't even eat meat. What? <laughs> yeah. So he, he he's made that and and he he's learned how to cook Jamaican food. And so I appreciate him for who he is and he appreciates me for who I am. And I really like that we work like a team. You know, you have a basketball team, you have your center, you have your guards, yes. but you need you need both to win. And so I just like that we defined our roles on our own and we're happy with our roles and uh, our, the morale in our relationship is high. Awesome. So I, I love that you said it's a team because it is really a team. You know, a lot of people, will, I work with a lot of women and then they will, you know, share things with me. And in, in listening, you start to understand the importance of a team. Right. Because a lot of things that to me would seem like a basic that your partner would necessarily pitch in, they don't receive that, but they've never seen that as well. Mm -hmm. You've come from a family where it seems like it was 50 50. Your parents were a team. So you took that element of team into your relationship today. Not sure if your husband came from that, but potentially might have. So it was natural to form that team bond. Mm -hmm. What would you say to a female that is in a relationship that she's not feeling that team spirit? Like, would you, do you think it's something natural that should happen? Do you think it's something you had to work towards? I had to work towards it because um, I've dated other people along the way. And I remember um, some people just are of the view, you're a woman and I'm a man. So despite the fact you may work 60, 70 hours a week, these are your responsibilities and these are mine. And then I just felt so unhappy. You know, I felt so unhappy working 60, 70 hours a week. And then I'd come home and then I'd have to, there's dishes to be done. There's food to be made. There's laundry to be done. And it's my responsibility because I'm a woman and it's not your responsibility because you're a man. And I thought this is not really, this doesn't really make sense. This is not how I was raised because my mother is a retired nurse. And at one point in time, she worked like shift work a lot. And my father was the one making the dinner and doing the laundry. Even now, if I were at my parents' home and I was going to leave the home with like a wrinkle in my suit, my father would then say, take off the suit. I'm going to iron it. You're not leaving the house like that. Wow. You see, that, <laughs> that level of discipline is what we're missing today. Yeah. That right there. It's not my mother. It's my father. T take, take that off. Here's a t-shirt. Take it off. I'm going to iron it. You can't leave the house like that. Your shoes not polished. Take off the. Sh you're not. I don't wipe care if you're those gonna be, shoes. Yeah. No. 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 Take off the. Sh I'll show you how to wipe the shoes. As take off the shoes. I don't care if you're gonna be late. You can't leave the house like that. So that's my father, not my mother. So I always saw it as a team. So when I decided for myself that I would like to be in a long-term uh, relationship, I realized I have to find someone who believes in the same things I do, which is working in a team. Because if I feel like I'm forced to stop practicing law to do certain things just because that's what women traditionally do. I don't know if I'll necessarily be happy and I don't know what the morale relationship will be or if it'll last. Yep. And so when I made that, made my mind up, uh, that's what I wanted. That's when I started focusing on those qualities when I started to date. Awesome. And you are in a profession where separation, divorce rates are high, like right. lawyers, doctors, yeah. It's there because they work thousands of hours. And you're stressed. Yeah. You're stressed. You're, you know, you're dealing with stressed people. And that's why I specifically, even now that we have a son, I spend uh, more time focusing on the morale in our marriage than I did before we had our son. 
because our lives revolve around our son. So we're going on away on vacation on a few days, not a few days, sorry, a few weeks. And when my husband uh, was talking about like places to go and different resorts, I then researched like it because he found about three or four. And I thought, you know what, we need one where there's a balance, right? So the one that was the more pricier place to visit was the one that had the balance because they, you have an Annie service from nine in the morning till nine at night, there's shows, there's dinners. And I'm, I thought to myself, you know, we need to focus on us. And so I booked that one and I said, you know, I, we're, I, I selected this one that you, from the three you gave me. And he said, why? And I said, because we also need to focus on us. We love our son, but we need some time to maybe do a day trip or go out for dinner and just focus on keep on each other. And you could see like, it was just a light bulb. Like it was just this glimmer of happiness that you could see that he felt because he was still, he still felt as if he was a priority. And I think sometimes that's a problem. You always have to make each other a priority, no matter how tired I am. Sometimes like last night, yesterday, I left my home at seven. I didn't return home till nine o'clock. Take 10 minutes. Yes. Sit down. How was your day? How are you feeling? Really? How are you feeling? Because sometimes with, I, I find with my dad and my husband's like extracting teeth. How are you feeling? <laughs> you know, talk to me, tell me, how are yeah. you feeling? And then he starts talking about our son because he put he picked him up from daycare and he put him to bed and everything. No, okay, I understand our son is fine, but how are you? And just rem- and and remind yourselves and remind each other that you are the really after God is your spouse. Yes, right. and so you have to to remind each other of that because other things come in the way, and you want to continue to make each other happy and to grow with each other. Well, your parents should start a foster home. <laughs> no, I'm that serious. Your parents should start a foster home because you see, you have so much values and so much standards that are instilled in you. And it's, you, you emit that and you, you bring that to your relationship now, which creates a healthy relationship. Your son's going to grow up. You're creating a generation of this, everything that they have rooted into you. Well, it's true. It's my parents because yeah. I remember um, going to my grandmother's home because my parents used to go out to uh, movies and to they used to go to nightclubs with each other. It was not it wasn't a big deal when you're f- like five years old. Oh, this Saturday you're going to spend the Saturday at your grandmother's because your father and I were going to go partying with each other. We're going to go to a movie. I thought that's that that that's makes perfect sense. You guys need time with each other, so you guys need to make each other happy. So that's what we I want to continue on in our marriage. Focus on our son, but also focus on making each other happy and working like a team. Wow. That's amazing. Good for you. Tanya, thank you so much for blessing us today with all your gems because it is a blessing and it's refreshing for me to hear your perspective and really to listen to your upbringing. And, you know, one of the things I find these days is everyone tends to have a story and they always start off with a sad story saying this has happened to me and now I've overcome it. And you're coming from a place of, no, I actually had a good foundation and they kicked my butt going there and I had to persevere and it was, I keep doing it till today and I'm willing to pass that on now to my son. Mm-hmm. So good for you. And really thank you for what you're contributing to our show. Cause I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me again. No problem. So let's talk about this beautiful world, the sexy world of social media. <laughs> How does that show up in your business? Clients follow me Ooh, okay. on social media. They want people really do want to do business with someone that they like. Yes. And part of them liking you is knowing about you. Yes. And so I find that uh, just posting things about what's going on in our lives, like 
uh, our son being baptized or taking a trip or mother's birthday, you know, the people who are liking it the the fastest are the clients. Mm. And so it's important to let people know who I am outside of law. Yes. Um, People are interested in that. Um, And people, the same thing with our Walker Law pages. Um, People want to see who the team is outside of their jobs because they want to do business with someone they feel that they like and they know. And they can't like you if they don't know, feel like they know you. Wow. Okay. And personally for you, how does social media show up in your personal life? Does it affect you? A lot of people tend to find that with social media, you feel the sense of competition. Mm, No, I don't. I only compete with myself. Okay. So I don't, I don't really feel a sense of competition with others. I always think about what I can do better um, and try and learn from mistakes. So that doesn't really affect me at all. Um, what, how social media affects me is I like to see, uh, what my clients are doing or relationships that I have with other people, what these people are doing, because we don't have time to spend, uh, hang out as much as we used to say 20 years ago. Yeah. So it's nice to see, oh, oh, do you hear their vacation pictures or this is what's going on? Or even like, uh, someone who was a, a close colleague of mine experienced a death in the family. So what I did is I wrote like a card, like, I'm sorry, you're going through a hard time. And I mailed the card. And then he texted me and said, you know, I really appreciate you doing that. But I wouldn't have found out that information if I didn't check social media. So social media is a good way to find out what's going on um, in each other's lives. Sometimes in the world, sometimes I hear something, see something on social media before I actually see it on the television. Yeah. So I think it's a it's a great tool uh, to use. And as long as you use it kind of the right way and you have the right perspective, because some people might have these posts looking like, you know, they're perfect size zero people all their lives and they're so happy and they may not necessarily be. But that's why it's very important to try not to compete with people or try not to say, okay, well, this person's perfect and why am I not perfect? Um, Because the chances are that person's perfect is probably, it's not true. Yeah, absolutely. Don't believe what you see. No, no, don't believe it. I mean, mean, and just be comfortable in who you are. And just like maybe if you're going through a tough time, people are generally, they generally go through tough times as well. And they might not necessarily portray that on social media. Um, one thing I would say with the younger generation, even when you delete something, it never really goes away. So you have to really think, like I put a lot of thought in my posts. Like sometimes I think, okay, what is my post going to be for the week? Wow. And so I have this event going on. So this is what I'm going to post. I just don't post things at random uh, because it just follows you. Yes. And you never know where you'll be 10, 15 years from now. Um, do you really want something that you shouldn't have posted or you deleted? Not really delete. Yes. It's not, it's just not worth it. Absolutely. Some great advice. Definitely. So Tanya, what are two things you wish you knew earlier and two things you would change? One thing, uh, one thing I wish that I knew earlier is the importance of spending a dollar to make $10 because I was always concerned about the bottom line. I wouldn't necessarily think that way. And then you end up, might end up paying the price later. And so what I mean by that is like, I joined that gym and I met my mentor, but that was only about five years ago. And if I had thought that way many years ago, I probably would have joined that gym when I started law school. And can you imagine going, now I've been practicing for almost 14 years, seeing those people over that period of time. So that would have been six, practicing for 14 years plus three. So that, you know, you would have seen those people for 15, 16, 17 years and built those relationships. Yeah. So that's one thing I really wish that I I could change. I um, would change. Another thing is 
Um, I was also of the belief that if you work hard, everything and you're a nice person, everything will come your way. And that's not necessarily the case. It's also who you know, right? And so um, one thing I really, uh, my mother always kind of said it like, you know, Canada, although it's developed, it's kind of third world sometimes because it's all about who you know. And she always kind of said it. And I'm like, uh, you know, kind of in one ear, out the other. But then I realized it really is true. The relationships are so important, building relationships, especially with people outside of your comfort zone. Yes. You need them more than they need you. Yeah. And so you have to put yourself in places where you can meet those people and build those relationships. It's not just hard work. Sometimes the people who are reward the worst, the, the best are not necessarily the people who work the hardest. I've learned that. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned that. The other saying they've said, it's who knows you. Yes. Because it's like, I could know a lot of people, but because you, you, you're willing to get uncomfortable and now they hear Tanya Walker. So then when that name comes up, oh, I know her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that gets your foot in the door. Yes, it does. It does get your foot in the door. So it's also one thing I always knew, but I think it, uh, it's very important nowadays is think of yourself as a brand. One of my favorite brands is Ketchup. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what do you want people to say? behind your back. It doesn't matter if what you're doing is paid or not paid, but like it, it still is the same brand. And there's some people who might not take something as seriously because it's not paid or paid enough to them. It's still, they're still going to say something behind your back and it should be good. Yes. That's a very good, that's very good advice. Very, very good advice. Tanya, what would you say your definition of success is? I, my definition of success is you are happy doing what you're doing. So if you're a stay-at-home mother and you're happy and you're fulfilled, then you're successful. And if you're working 60, 70 hours a week and that's what makes you happy, then you're successful. You're fulfilled. Okay. So not the like, you know, doing things that you don't like necessarily. Like, you know, you talked about earlier parents that were doing two to three jobs to maintain a big home if that doesn't make you happy but it gives you it it lands you in a place of what society claims as success then i don't think you're successful because you're not happy we only have a certain period of time on this planet yep and so what we should try to do is maximize the time that we're happy and so if you're doing things that make you by someone else's definition successful but you're not happy to me you're not successful Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. How would you define resilience? Because it is a big word that we use. And I mean, obviously, the stories that we share are around resilience and people's journeys. But what would your definition of resilience be? Resilience to me is when people put roadblocks in the way, when people say no. And as an entrepreneur, you hear no quite a bit. Oh, every day. And you keep on believing in yourself, you keep on working hard and you say, you see the big picture. I think that's what, that's what resilience is. Having that ability to see the big picture and just realizing the no's are just a way to get you to a yes. Wow. Okay. I agree. Because <laughs> you do face those roadblocks and I believe they're there to lift up and make you stronger to overcome them. So thank you. So as we begin to wrap up, what would be three things you would say to a budding lawyer? Someone wanting to get on the scene and, you know, a kid watching and they're like, you know what? 
I am that kid with the big mouth. I'm argumentative. I, I like defending. If I believe in something, I hold on to it. I think I want to be a lawyer. What would you say to them? If you come from more humble beginnings like myself, you have to really consider the investment part of it, right? Everything's a business. When you walk into that hospital, it's a business. Law is a business as well. And it's very expensive to go to law school right now. Tuition is around twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year. And it's three years of school. And then when you come out and you article, which is like intern before you can practice law, mm-hmm. uh, you might not, you're probably just making enough to pay your bills for that period of time. So I don't know if it's necessarily something, depending on what your circumstances are, you want to dabble in unless you're sure that's something you want to pursue. So that's something you have to really realize is, uh, one thing I would say is, are you prepared for that financial investment? Because on average, a law student graduates with six figures of debt because of their undergrad degree as well, right? And so that's one thing. The second thing is you have to be prepared to work really, really hard. And you may not see the type of of pay that you'd like to receive until maybe four or five years into it because it takes such a long time to learn. A lot of the time is written off. So you have to just, you really have to be prepared to say, I'm going to work after pursuing, getting your undergrad degree and getting your law degree, then adding on another four or five years on top of that to really master your craft. So I think that's a very important. And I think the last thing is if you're going, if you're considering private practice as opposed to working for the government or working uh, in-house like for a corporation, uh, you may have to consider relationships. So when I started law school, I realized, wait a second, I don't know many people who can afford to pay hundreds of dollars an hour for a lawyer. Where am I going to find these people? Mm-hmm. And so in my first year, while balancing working, because I worked while I was in law school, going to school, the gym, I also joined various boards and I built relationships with people in the board. I didn't just show up once a month. I actually took on a position of responsibility. So whether it's corporate governance and redrafting the constitution, uh, international development and taking on or coordinating international projects, I always took on a position of responsibility and built relationships with people in that board. So then um, by the time we finished our term, they could say, this is what Tanya is about because I saw what she did for free. And even one of the biggest matters, one of my biggest files I'm working on right now, I met the person who sent that file, those files to us through my board that I was a member of in law school. Oh, wow. So the person calls, another person calls me up. So-and-so, you know, told me to give you a call. And when I was explaining to our articling student how I even met that person, I'm like, wait a second, that was when I was in law school, I was on the sport. So I think it's very important to keep in mind uh, always developing relationships and and with the development of relationships, be prepared to give more than you get because we like to ask a lot, but we don't like to give a lot. So there's many ways that you can give. Just be thoughtful. If you are on social media, you probably follow different people. You could probably be a connector. Yes. Right. You could say, well, this is someone that may be benefit from knowing this person. Let me connect them. Mm-hmm. But be prepared to give. Yes. And when you give, then people will want to give in return to you. Yes. So those are three things. I mean, I'm not going to say the typical, you know, get good grades. We know that, mm-hmm. um, you know, have the personality of arguments that we know that that's only going to get you so far. There are a lot of people who have the good grades and get into law school and they're they're not where they want to be. 
And I think these are three other things that have to be taken into consideration. Amazing. Such great advice. And I love the piece you talk about being prepared to give. People don't real, they don't get that philosophy at times where it's so important, especially I find younger people at times, they don't get the philosophy of giving because when you give, you do get, and it starts from there, but you have to give without intention to receive. Exactly. You have to give up. If you don't give out the goodness of your heart, just don't bother. Exactly. Awesome. So Tanya, tell us a little bit about how we can access your services at Walker Law. Uh, we're on Instagram. So I have my own Instagram account, which is Tanya underscore Walker Law. Uh, it's the same Twitter. And uh, for Instagram and Twitter for our firm, it's Walker underscore Law. Okay. And we're also on LinkedIn and Facebook. Okay. And in terms of people can access your services, they just reach out, send a DM. Yes, you could, you could do that and uh, I'll respond. Okay. Awesome. Tanya. Thank you so, so very much for being here today. You shared a world of knowledge, a generation of knowledge (laughs) is truly what you've you've shared with us today. Your parents will be proud. And I hope that they do get the opportunity to watch this interview. Oh, they'll watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Because honestly, that's where it started. So you are just a fruit of their labor. And really that is it. And they did an amazing job. Thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for being a pioneer in our city. Uh, 220 years is what we're talking about, (laughs) right? So, I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you do. And until next time. You've been listening to the Make Your Mark podcast. You can visit our website and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at makeyourmark.ca. And please subscribe, rate, and review.